Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Welcome, everyone, to Rockin' Nation Podcast. Uh, this is Sam Snelling. Hello. How are you? Uh, with me is Tom Crean fanboy, Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? Kidnap Crean. Uh, we are recording an episode of Died Cuts. Uh, I believe this is episode 14 of season three, so uh, post- Florida, yay, and Mississippi State. So, <laughs> since last I recorded, we have uh, had uh, both probably the best and coincidentally the worst performance uh, performances of Consul Martin's coaching tenure at Missouri. Um, last Saturday night was awesome. Uh, Missouri put up 91 points in a home game against Florida and whipped the Gators. Um Florida actually played pretty decent offense. Yeah. They shot the ball well, but they just could not figure out what Missouri was doing offensively, uh, which is kind of funny because it seems like everybody else has. Um, so, so in turn, the Tigers go on a trip to Starkville and proceed to get blown out before the first uh, media timeout and uh, and lose in, in what was the least efficient game in Conza Martin's tenure the least uh, amount of points since Missouri scored 43 against Texas A&M in Kim Anderson's final home game. That's a good memory for you there. Senior night. uh, Here's our worst performance. Um, So, yeah, it's been a weird week. A weird, weird week. Matt, uh, anything you want to get off your chest to start? Regression to the mean is proven. You just don't want to see it like such a wild swing between poles though like when you think of like a normal distribution we got the tail ends in four days and i don't think anybody in this fan base is prepared for that kind of whiplash so i think everyone's just kind of jarred by just how just stark that contrast was and i think like you know so i talked about regression to the mean a little bit and in both of uh, the study hall pieces about it because I think it's warranted mainly because 
Um, I don't think Mizzou is as bad of a shooting team as they've been all season. Um, I think that they've got some guys who are more capable of making shots than they have made, um, you know, all year. So it's sort of like they just kind of saved everything up for the game against Florida. And that sort of took, I guess, the, uh, (laughs) you know, the, the mean a little bit too, too high. And so this was sort of the, you know, the course correction, um, you know, for, for the Tigers, because, they're certainly not as bad as they played against Mississippi State. That was a wild swing. Um, I don't that you know. I, I don't think that, or I, I can say pretty definitively, they're not as good as they played against Florida. Um, like that was the high end. So that's that's sort of like you know, the best game that you're going to get from Missouri offensively. Mississippi State just happened to be kind of the worst game that you're going to get uh, from Missouri. Um, Offensively, so if you kind of put them together, uh, it would be nice to hit that median more often. And I think the the problem with Missouri is right now is is that median has been too low. They need to push it up, uh, even if it's just a little bit. Yeah, the one thing that had been steadily happening is they've been steadily, you know, bumping their three point shooting rate. You know, not north of thirty three percent, but they were getting kind of semi close to the NCAA average and the turnover rate had been pretty solid I mean again uh, Missouri's a team that under Conzo Martin's been a little bit high but they've done a nice job kind of keeping the turnovers in check and so you kind of had at least figured that you know they were kind of showing some positive signs uh, of you know to at least stabilizing offensively and you know, the road trip to Kentucky kind of, like we said a couple weeks ago, when is expected. The Tennessee game, Tennessee shot the lights out, Missouri did not, and that kind of flipped it. And then going into the Florida game, you know, I think we were sort of skeptical as to what Missouri could do, and we really thought they needed to, you know, find a way to either get Florida to, you know, come out and, and guard shooters to open up driving lanes, or they were going to have to be really committed to, you know, setting high ball screens for Drew Smith and letting him go to work. And they did, and they did the latter. They created some early transition. They got out and then they, you know, managed to push the tempo a bit. They were really aggressive early in the clock with, you know, ball screens and roll and replace actions, kind of putting Javon Pickett in the, you know, the replace slot and letting him catch high and then deciding if he wanted to drive behind the initial screener. So, just the way they structured the offense and then the shooting performance behind it. I think you and I sort of said after the Florida game, you know, privately, like, yeah, the shooting performance is, is definitely, you know, way, way outside the norm. But the takeaway was that they, what they were doing to generate those shots might've been a sustainable path for them. Mm -hmm. And I think, and, and that was sort of my big takeaway was, I really don't care about the shooting numbers. I care about how they're creating shots and how they're creating quality shots and how they're creating unguarded shots or how they're getting, you know, their guards in positions where they can get quality rim attacks. You know, Florida's going to send, you know, Kerry Blackshear out of the paint to hard hedge. Yeah, we're going to we're going to have Reed Nico slip or we're going to have our guy turn in the corner yeah, and go. They Makes no sense. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> how they were using Blackshear and pick and roll coverage didn't make any sense whatsoever, and because Florida plays on the line up the line so much, the gaps were just huge when they could hit them, and so the general thought was, okay, they're going to go on the road. It's going to be tough, but maybe they've kind of figured out a new formula for how they can create shots that are going to be worthwhile. And then it was like they just took that game plan, crumpled it up, lit it on fire, and just forgot about it because they went back to kind of what they'd done before, which is we're kind of going to, you know, you know, dribble the ball up. We're going to run some off ball screening action. We're not going to set a pick and roll for any guard until midway through the shot clock. And so I think that was what was more jarring was setting aside the shooting and, you know, the, you know, the, all the other metrics, just what was jarring to me was how, Stark the stylistic contrast was from one game from another, especially because of the shot creation that was coming 
in the game where they shot it so well. So that that's what stuck out to me above all else. Yeah, I think like early on in the season, um, you know, particularly when when Tillman was was more involved, they were able to, uh, you know, get to the rim. And when they weren't getting to the rim, they the the shots they were getting were for the most part pretty good shots. Um, they they were just missing them a lot. You know, it's just like that's kind of how it goes, right? Uh, as the season wore on, and then you know Tillman kind of went into a little bit of a hole and struggled. You could see uh, that they were still able to kind of get to the rim, you know, but the shots that they were getting on the outside weren't as good as shots. Um, the offense was starting to slow down, you know, because I think when you get into a habit of uh of or not habit but when you're missing a lot of shots you know the tendency is is to you know maybe be less aggressive to you know pass up uh you know a decent look hoping to get a better look um you know you're a little trigger shy basically and uh and you kind of see that kind of take over in like the second half of the non-con um now as as there and, and i think like this is the thing that i saw uh, and, and their approach against Florida was they were kind of back to, to being aggressive and looking to score earlier in the shot clock. And I think that's been kind of my complaint over the, like the last, you know, 10 games or so or eight games, however many it's been, where they would be wanting to find the right shot and doing so like they're not actively looking for uh, uh, you're right, a good shot, you know, in search of the great shot. Um, and I think, like, that's one of the things that uh, we kind of talked about. Um, I can't remember if it was since Mississippi State or I think it was since Florida. But, you know, the, the early clock looks that you get, and not even necessarily in transition. So anytime you can get out and run and get a, you know, a layup, two-on-one, whatever, like, that's that's going to be a good shot. Um, I'm talking about like, you know, the defense is still set, but you're still pushing the ball and getting an early, you know, ball screen or getting the ball hit ahead to a wing uh, who's going to look to attack within the first five or eight seconds of you having the ball. Uh, and that's going to force the defense to shift, you know, the same way it would as if you, you know, walk the ball up the court, pass it three times, throw the ball to Jeremiah Tillman on the block, Right. But now you're getting that action much sooner. Uh, and I thought that, like, that's the thing that I think, you know, and it really, like, part of it is, like, Mississippi State did a good job of getting back in transition. Um, they were also, uh, they were they were getting good shots. Uh, they were rebounding the ball well. Um, and when they were tur- turning the ball over, it was it was dead ball turnovers. Like they didn't have a whole lot of live ball turnovers. Where Florida was kind of the opposite. Like Florida, when they turned the ball over, it was live. Missouri was getting steals, um, and so that causes more of that transition transition action. So there is some of it in the gameplay that prevented Missouri from getting there. But you definitely want to see them uh, at some point very soon uh, figure out that that. It's going to benefit their overall offensive production to um, to attack early and attack often and and stay in attack mode, um, even if you kind of have a few possessions in a row where things kind of don't go your way. Like you still need to be aggressive offensively, and um, you know I realize that them not having uh, a ton of weapons can kind of limit that at times, but I still think you have enough guys who. Um, have the ability to at least kind of get out and um, and go towards. That's the a fair point about the live ball action there, because when you're having to take the ball out of the bucket for the first five minutes of the game and you're down ten zero, <laughs> I mean we laugh, but I mean you, you can't really get your mojo going. You can't really establish kind of that rhythm early, and you can't really you know find opportunities to grab go have your guys get out and beat their man down the floor and kind of run to a spot and have a guy and have, and also it, I think it matters about personnel to a certain degree because Reed Nico is doing everything he can, but if, if you're going to give me an ideal rim runner, it is not Reed Nico. 
So it gets a little bit hard there for them. But I guess the thing that was sort of interesting to me was even if you don't you know, have your guy hit ahead for an open jumper or have a guard sprint to a spot on the wing for that jumper, drive the ball baseline there, Reed can still be a guy who you can get the ball out and you can run, and I've said this ad nauseum, some drag pick and roll action for, for Drew and just let him sort of get downhill early in a possession. Even if you quick outlet, you get up the floor, you run that drag pick and roll with 24 seconds on the shot clock, at least you're getting action going to the rim early. And at least you're putting pressure on the in- internal kind of back line of the defense to either rotate and help. And if it doesn't work, mm-hmm. you can at least kick out, reset, and then run screening action again. But I guess that's been my thing is there's not really an interest to kind of probe that defense early on for them. And, you know, you can do that within the scale of an offense. There are coaches in this country who, you know, don't generate a ton of transition possessions, but their possession lengths are short because they look to attack early in the shot clock. You know, they look to get the ball out. They look to try and put pressure on defenses when they're cross-matching. And does it always work out? No, but at least what they're doing is they're forcing the defense to have to be attentive, and at least they're maybe going to occasionally catch a defense out or get an odd man matchup that they like. So it, it just seems so weird that that approach worked on Saturday, and then they just went away from it immediately. Against a team especially mm-hmm. one in the half court where, you know, th- there's a legit back line there. You know, if you're going to try and get good twos and Missouri doesn't take mid-range jumpers at all, they don't take many shots outside of 10 feet, why would you want to let the defense get set with Abdullah 2 and Reggie Perry on the back line? Like, wouldn't you want to get the ball out quick and look to attack, get downhill, maybe catch a guard coming back over and having to come over and help? Maybe you draw a foul, maybe you get an easy layup, but it just seemed weird that they were letting a team that had a more established back line and two good rim protectors get set. Especially. And I, I, I can't remember. Did we talk about that in the last podcast? Like some of my fears kind of going into this was that, you know, the difference in the front court, um, you know, and, and having two really good defenders right around the rim, you know, and M- Missouri kind of struggling to shoot from the outside, taking the ball inside and basically having it blocked all night long. Um, I mean, that was just something that I sort of envisioned. And I actually just pulled up the uh, the game flow of the 2019 trip uh, to Starkville. And it actually was a pretty similar game flow. Now, they didn't have the huge run to start out. Um, you know, but Missouri really struggled to score the ball in the first half. And, uh, and it took them, looks like they went on a late uh, first half 12-2 run to make it not embarrassing. Um, but then stayed close on a 16 to two run in the, like the last five minutes or so. Um, but they had, even back then they had four points in like the first 10 minutes and what, you know, it's like the same thing this year. Like they just, no matter what they did, they were just unable to find points early and, and it just looked like it was going to be like, that was going to be it for them. Uh, now granted, you know, Mississippi state was, a a little bit better of a team last year. Um, I think they finished like top 30 in Ken Palm. And, or were they like a, a five seed and got bounced? Yeah, so. They, they were a five seed. They were number 21 in Ken Palm. They were a five seed. They lost to a really good Liberty team. They lost, uh, to be fair. Liberty was, I think, slightly underseeded. I thought they should have been a little bit higher in the mix. But the one thing that when you look at I think I think it was the uh, uh, you get dinged for being a Falwell school is like automatically you know drop a few seeds just for being Liberty I mean maybe maybe they hate (laughs) I'm not wading into that but the (laughs) not taking the bait nope nope not doing that not doing that Um, but the interesting thing when you look at and I, I sort of mentioned this before we started is Mississippi State is kind of interesting in how they approach things defensively because what they can do is they don't like Mississippi State is not a high tempo team they don't push the pace at all you know Howland's gotten even slower since he went to Starkville but they're oddly talented at creating kind of 
live ball turnovers are at creating transition possessions. So they don't put they don't play fast in the half court. But I think I told you they they just have this knack of sitting down, guarding, rebounding, and just steadily draining you of possessions throughout the game. Missouri decided to get it out of the way quickly with five or six in the first five minutes, but I think just the matchup that Hallen provides them is tough. I don't think Hallen looks at Missouri and is like, oh, God, we're, we're going to get in a rock fight. That's kind of Hallen's style, too. And his team is a little bit better offensively this year, and they're much better at creating turnovers. And they did that on Saturday, and they did that on Tuesday night. And, it, you know, they supplemented, you know, their size. And, well, they also have, like, legitimately. so They have great bigs. It helps to have Reggie Perry. And Abdul Adu. Who is probably going to be a first-round pick. Abdul Adu is a great defensive uh, rim protector. Like, he's not a wonderful offensive guy. You're not going to pitch him the ball on the block a lot. But he defends, he rebounds, and he can convert on the offensive glass. Uh, but you have Reggie Perry, who I think is a first-round talent. Nick Weatherspoon, who is still kind of getting his, his footing, but is a guy who can make shots. And Robert Woodard, who I I really like Woodard a lot uh, as he's developing a jump shot and ultra-athletic and a guy that can you know make it tough on you. And so they're, they're a team, I think, that is... Um, they're about what I thought they would be this year. Um, they just don't have any depth. That's, that's, their, that's what's holding them back is... Once you get outside of that starting core, there's just not a lot there for them, or not a lot proven at this point. And Missouri had had the misfortune fun. of also, I mean, they were zero and three going in, into the, that game. Um, after state looked desperate, yeah, like they looked <clears throat> after a really close loss. I mean, I swear, like, and I, I think I told you this. I think like Will Wade has some sort of deal with the devil or voodoo magic going on, which you know wouldn't surprise me. It is Baton Rouge. Um, but they just like all they do is win one possession games. Um, like LSU is not all that impressive, and yet they're undefeated. Um, and Mississippi State has just had like some tough look. Yeah, they kind of got blown out at Alabama, um, you know. But they played Auburn pretty tough, and then Auburn just sort of pulled away a little bit in the second half and sort of kept their distance. Um, so it was a team that that was zero and three and and better than their zero and three record and. Um, and certainly ready for a win. So it's, uh, I don't know, it's a perfect storm. And I'm not going to like, I'm not trying to justify as bad as Missouri play. Like, I don't think you can justify <laughs> that level of poor play. Um, but it was kind of the perfect storm against them. And you just hope that the recovery, now they're, they're going to go to Alabama and, and they're actually already in Tuscaloosa because of inclement weather coming in, wanted to get ahead of the weather. Um, Alabama's coming off a huge emotional win over Auburn. It's Auburn's first loss, big rival. Uh, you beat them, and there's some... Uh, and they beat them soundly, too, right? Yeah, they, they drove yeah. them. From See, by so you hope maybe there's a little bit of a pendulum swing. Um, but Alabama's like really talented offensively. But they don't quite defend, and they certainly don't defend around the rim uh, the way Mississippi State does. So uh, there's there's some realistic hope that you know Missouri could kind of recover from this and and play a tight game. Hopefully, pull, gonna pull it out in Tuscaloosa. The tough part for them is that they're going to need to, you know, Nate Oates is an analytics inspired coach. You know, they are they absolutely just punch the gas in terms of tempo. They jack a lot of threes. It's either, I mean, if you look at their shot chart, it's threes, free throws, and then layups. I mean, they are a team that's going to get out, and they've got guards. They've got five guards who they can mix and match with. They're shallow in the front court, but that doesn't really matter because Missouri is kind of in a pickle there. So it's just going to be interesting to see how that, who wins the pace war there. If it gets, if Nate Oates gets it where he wants, it, I think it could be bad news because they're going to keep shooting. They've got their uh, number three in Jack. adjusted tempo. Yeah, they they absolutely they want to run you out of the gym. They want to put you through a conditioning test. And I think that you know you talk about their defense. Their defensive ratings actually come down 
like three points per possession, three points per 100 possessions as non-con wound down. I think they weren't used to how to play defense kind of playing at that tempo. They've improved. I mean, yes, the metrics still look bad, but I think they've kind of gotten their sea legs at either end and they're figuring it out. Um, but Kyra Lewis is really good. John Petty is making shots. Jaden Shackelford's a really nice freshman. James Bolden is kind of a microwave scorer for them off the bench, a West Virginia transfer or who could play some combo guard. I think Petty is having the kind of shooting year that I, that I, probably a lot of people were hoping that, that we'd we get from uh, Mark Smith. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, Mark was about the same, you know, kind of upper 40s last year uh, before he, he got hurt. And that's right where John Petty, like John Petty has not been phased one iota by the, the extended three-point line. Uh, he's taken 112 threes already and is hitting 48% of them. So uh, it's definitely a guy that you got to stick with. And, and this is this is my thing about, you know, Missouri's added struggles offensively is just having guys that can make outside shots and what that does to a defense is extends it and, and just sort of creates those gaps. So if you have to defend Mark Smith and, and you have to defend, you know, Torrance Watson, who had another horrid shooting night. Um, if you have to defend guys outside the three point line, then it's going to make it easier for Drew Smith to kind of turn the corner on a pick and roll uh, and hit cutters or hit, you know, an open shooter. Like that's sort of the premises of the offense and it doesn't work if you're not making shots. So I'm interested in what the scout is for this team defensively because Missouri tends to, I mean, they've, they have gotten a little bit more aggressive in ball screen coverage this year and they will extend a little bit, but they're still kind of, I think, and, and you can tell me if you disagree, they're still kind of a gapping based team. They still want to sit down in gaps. They still kind of want to play a little pack line ish. And well, so that's going to be fine. I, with, that's going to be fine with Bama because Bama wants to shoot from deep all day and they want to get down and shoot quickly. So, so I think that the, uh, sort of, your, your take is, um, a little more prescient when it comes to like the personnel on the floor. I think with uh, with Tillman and when they go small, they tend to hard hedge and double and blitz ball screens or ice. Um, you know, but when they're like certainly against a team like Mississippi State, uh, and I think definitely against Kentucky. Uh, you know that. So I think that they're versatile and they'll. Uh, I, I, I like, yeah, I certainly think that he's going to stick uh, a body on John Petty. And as long as John Petty is within 30 feet of the rim, there's going to be somebody. Yeah, they're going to have, they're going to lock and trail him all day. It's just, it's going to be interesting what they do in terms of how they, because Missouri sometimes will, they're committed to getting back and getting matched up a little bit. But it'll be interesting what happens if they go to the boards and Bama can win the glass and get out quick. Well, and, you know, like uh, this is another thing about sort of, uh, you know, matchups and, and sort of the struggle of matching up against Mississippi State because Mississippi State's a team that, like, they, they do like to play big. You know, they do like Perry and Adu on the floor together. Um, you know, so Missouri's ability to sort of go to some of their smaller lineups uh, is out the door. Uh, you know, they, they played a lot of Mitchell Smith and Reed Nicko together. And when... Oh, they can go four guard. In well, yeah, and, and I think go, like that's can... the advantage of, of going, you know, and playing Alabama. Even even if Alabama is a, a much more dangerous team offensively, I think you look at the advantages that Missouri has and, and some of their best offenses when guys, like, are able to kind of, you know, get up and make plays and, and, and play with a smaller lineup. Uh, and you have fewer minutes from, from guys like Nicko and... Uh, you can even move, you know, Mitch to the five. You can play Trey Jackson at the five, uh, and if you're you're able to kind of get away with some of that some of that stuff, I think you can see some uh, some grounds kind of being made up offensively. And maybe it doesn't make a difference, but uh, if you're if you're looking for reasons to be hopeful, kind of going into this game on Saturday, I think I think that they exist uh, much more so than they did for you know the game against Mississippi or Mississippi State. Yeah, because they don't they don't use Galen Smith a ton, and he's a they don't they usually just stick with Alex Reese at the at the center spot. 
Herb Jones is listed as a forward, but he's six seven two oh five. He's basically a fourth wing on the right. floor, longer and rangier. But they'll they'll even sometimes go Lewis Shackelford Petty Bolden. Like they'll go that micro small and they'll just play four out around Galen Smith, who's not a guy who is a real scoring threat. Or Alex Reese, I should say. Reese is a high-efficiency guy, but he's only getting 18.5% usage. So you're not really looking for Alex Reese to be kind of an offensive factor. Right. He's there hopefully to provide some rim protection, some rebounding, and occasionally a bucket. So Yeah, Reese, Reese plays about 52% small. of the minutes. Davis, yeah, they split Davis plays about 44, and then Smith plays 31. So, I mean, that's... Those guys will see a little bit of floor time together, but for the most part, they're playing one big. Yeah, they're gonna play. They're gonna play four out, basically. They'll come and down. That's gonna to, be like that. That is to their advantage too. Like they're gonna be a better, more uh, you know, efficient offensive team when they have you know more skill players in the floor. Well, yeah, and, you well, know, like, they, they they can run Lewis. You can put Lewis in pick and rolls or have him create in isolation. You space Petty, and then you've got. If you wanted to play four guards, you have Bolden, who's a slot, who's a guy who's looking to score but can shoot the three ball well. Herb Jones does not shoot jumpers. He's a guy who's looking to get to the rim or get around the rim. So you have some nice mix of skill sets from your guards there, and you're just really asking Reese to try and clean up misses, occasionally hit a step-out jumper, and just defend. So, hey, Matt. Mm-hmm. I think this is a game where you could – get Trey Jackson some minutes. What do you think? That's not a bad idea. <laughs> so that's, like that's, one, that, one of the things that like we've that's talked novel. about, that's crazy. <laughs> Look we have talked about like in, in his uh, high school and AAU days, Jackson really played a lot of the five out of necessity. Um, yeah. Out of necessity. And, and Missouri's really trying to condition him a little bit more to be kind of that, uh, that combo forward type. Um, that they're looking to kind of build around. Um, you know, is there that much of a learning curve? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but if if you could get him for, you know, eight to ten minutes at the five, um, I think that that makes you more athletic and more versatile. Uh, and I think you can pull it off against Alabama. Um, I think you certainly probably need to make sure that that's like a, a lineup where you have both Drew and Mark Smith and maybe Javon Pickett, um, you know, for some rebounding acumen, um, you know, but I think it could work. Yeah, I I was thinking you could, as much as Reed's tried to, you know, plug the gap here, this should be a game where you're, you really don't need Reed or Axel Okongo, I don't think. I think I would, you know, rather have Mitchell Smith, Kobe Brown, and Trey Jackson cycling between the four and the five. Just because I'd want the switchability, I'd want some more athletic guys, I'd want some math, some guys comfortable working in space a little bit, and frankly, guys who are just going to be conditioned to be able to get up and down the floor a little bit. You know, it, Bama's not a team that really hammers you on the glass. You know, they're not a great rebounding team, so you're not really going to give up a ton, even in conference play so far. There. 12th in offensive rebound percentage they're not going to the glass a ton so if you can get misses and you can kind of play a little bit with some with some verve and some tempo it could be interesting but yeah um trey definitely needs more than one minute definitely more <laughs> than one minute well we we are uh we are preachers of the uh at the altar of trey so it's gonna uh, happen one of these days or... i mean look <laughs> Parker Braun got into the trifecta. And damn it, if uh, if Evan Yurkus and Travis Ford weren't hunting, not Travis Ford, but Travis's son, if if they weren't hunting to get in Brooks. there too. If Brooks and Evan weren't looking to get in there too. You know, the best lineups for Missouri at Starkville were the walk-ons late. So maybe, maybe it's a sign. Maybe, maybe it's a sign. Well, if, yeah, I think... Th- there is uh, a little bit of, of reason to think that Missouri could recover. Um, we'll just kind of put it that way. And and, um, and they certainly need to. Although, uh, let's look at 
what's coming up. So Alabama on Saturday. Uh, they get a home game on Tuesday against Texas A&M, who has been playing better. Um, they put up a big fight uh, to LSU. Of course, LSU won a close game. Voodoo magic. Um, LSU, wa- they were down like six or eight. They're, they're <laughs> like down in the six last with 110 left. Last minute or two minutes in the game, uh, they hit a three and AM turned the ball over. It came down, hit another three, all within like 20 seconds. It was like, well, there went that six point lead. Yep. Um, and forced overtime, the last minute or so of, of, of regulation on that was horrid to watch. It was horrible basketball. <laughs> Terrible shots were taken. Uh, I actually think, um, if I'm remembering the, the, the play correctly, but I think they probably could have called Skylar May for a... Uh, they could have called uh, him for a charge. You got for the, a charge and, and sort of bit the whistle, which, you know, I don't mind. Um, but I like being right about LSU and... Damn it! If they go like thirteen and five this year, I'm going to be mad, <laughs> just because like, there's no reason why this team should be that good. Um, but yeah, so A and M started off uh, opened SEC play with a loss um, at Arkansas, beat uh, Ole Miss in an excruciating game at home, uh, then whipped Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt was coming off the news of. Um, Neesmith being hurt. Yeah, Aaron Neesmith. Um, was blanked on his name for a second. Uh, he has stress fractures, is out indefinitely, much like our own Jeremiah Tillman. Vanderbilt just found out that news, promptly go out and get blown out at home to Texas A&M. So they were, uh, they're two and two with a winnable game at home against South Carolina, who is coming off a ridiculous buzzer beater uh, in beating Kentucky. This this league, this whole college basketball season, it's all is, trash. <laughs> it's just uh, Oscar, Oscar the Grouch would love this. It's all garbage. So realistically, the 137th ranked Texas A&M Aggies could come into uh, Mizzou Arena next Tuesday at three and two in league play, and already probably at more wins than I might have expected them to have uh, a month ago. Um, but, uh, yeah, so they've got A&M and then, uh, the following Saturday, the 25th is the big 12, uh, SEC showdown. And, uh, that's a trip to West Virginia Ooh. and West Virginia is currently number five in Kempom. Yeah. Uh, they have recovered, uh, quite a bit from a down year last year. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Have you had a chance to watch the Mountaineers? Uh, yeah, they, they play fast. Uh, they turn you over a lot. Uh, and they got the front line of Derek Culver and Oscar Tishwebe. Uh, 6'9 and 6'10. 255 and 258. Oscar's a freshman and Derek is a sophomore. So they got big long dudes inside. They play fast and turn you over. No, nothing yeah. wrong with that mix at all. Just Shibwe is Shibwe is he is a monster. <laughs> it's like if Kofi Cockburn played on Alabama. That's kind of what it is. It's <laughs> you put a well, it's, so uh, yeah. So Kofi though is like he's big, right? Yeah, like Shibwe is is more agile he's a better athlete uh but he has the sort of same like take up space kind of put you through the rim uh yeah and then culver i i I think culver is a really really nice player uh so those guys are really pretty good and uh he's got the number oscar leads the nation in offensive rebound rate he is blocking 7.2 his block percentage is 7.2 he draws six point six fouls for forty minutes and shoots sixty percent inside the arc. Inside the arc, so yeah, that's that's who you get to handle on the back line. <laughs> so, just just that's an early briefing for everyone next week. Um, 
you can watch. I'm going to watch. Um, but I'm going in with clear eyes on what, what could happen in Morgantown. Yeah, it's and it's a tough, tough you know draw the fact that they have to play that game on the road too. Um, so let's let's w- beat Alabama, beat Texas A and M. Uh, that puts you at eleven and seven, and uh, three and three in league play. Whatever happens in Morgantown happens. Uh, you come back, you get Georgia, South Carolina, A and M again. Three winnable games. That that's when um, you got to make something happen, right? Yeah, so I think, you know, even if you end up losing at Alabama, you got to beat Texas A&M. If you're at, if you're at 2 and 4, like you could go and flip that pretty quickly uh to to 5 and 4 uh, if if you kind of do things right. I mean, um, at at 2 and 4, the only outcome that would not have been predicted would have been the loss to Tennessee. So that's again, I think the the outcome in Mississippi State was not surprising that's been projected as a loss since october i think how it happened uh was certainly uh jarring for folks but that was long in the loss column so is bama bama's been a projected loss since way back when kim pom first dropped the updated rankings in october so they should be three and three should be the expected record if they come out at two and four you're one game behind where you need to be. So you got to pick up a win somewhere else. Uh, but the biggest deal at that point would be to sweep those three games of Georgia, Carolina, A&M to get back over 500. And then hope you can pick off, you know, Arkansas at home or Auburn at home. Just make it a ro- make it ugly, make it a rock fight, and pick off one of those in Columbia. That That's really I'm sort of... I'm actually like really curious to see how both of those teams, uh, how things sort of play out with both of those teams, like over the next, um, next couple weeks. Yeah, because you know, like you and I, uh, I mean, at this point, we've come to the realization that everybody's bad. Um, but I mean, Auburn just got blown out, and that's their first loss of the year. They didn't play anybody. Yeah. Uh, so they they beat. I think NC State at home was their best win. Arkansas hasn't um, played anybody. Well, right, and so like, you know, it. Like, I wonder if you like flipped it. And Auburn was playing a schedule closer to like Missouri's. If they were playing a little bit tougher uh, teams, you know, and not that Missouri's been playing Murderers Row, but they've been playing more competent teams than Auburn has. Missouri's um, schedule got front-loaded this year. I mean, that's that was always sort of the thing. I think when we saw the schedule, I think I told you, like, January is going to be brutal for them. They don't get a break from, you know, January 4, probably through the 25th. That's a five- or right. six-game stretch. We were just hoping for 500. That, that, was, that was your hope, was you could come out of that kind of unscathed, maybe get a couple quad one wins which this game at Bama would be a quad one win if they pick it up. So that that's the other silver lining. If they beat Bama, that's a game they weren't expected to win. They'll come out of this early stretch with two potential key one wins. You know, again, we're not talking about the NCAA tournament of the bubble right now, but, you know, in a year where everybody is bad, as many quality wins as you can get never hurts. So, right. You know, and so flipping from Auburn to Arkansas, I mean Arkansas, they have a, a they have a solid win at Indiana. Um, oh, I'm not. Yeah, I'm just saying. But and then not. and then outside, but outside of that, I mean everything is. Uh, I mean, Georgia Tech, which they hit a ridiculous shot after nobody scored in overtime um, to win that game. Uh, North Texas, they got beat. they got. Man- <laughs> they, I'm like looking at their Ken Prom profile. So the teams that they've beaten that are inside the top 100 are North Texas, Georgia Tech, and Indiana. Uh, so Georgia Tech is not good. They're 84th. And then in league play, they they lost uh, to LSU. Oh look, one possession game. LSU won. Voodoo magic. Um, beat A&M. 
Ole Miss and Vanderbilt, who at this point, uh, Ole Miss and Vanderbilt are defeated in league play, and A and M. Uh, we've talked about them; they're they're bad also. So, up next, Arkansas has Kentucky, Mississippi State. Then they play TCU. TCU's been okay, uh, so it'll it'll be interesting to see how they how they perform. Um, yeah, they only play two sub one hundred Ken Palm teams the rest of the way. There is no, there's no let up for them. So, you know, maybe they'll if, t- take. They play six games before they play Missouri. Matt, uh, what is your prediction on their record in those six games? Uh, it is Kentucky at home, at Mississippi State, TCU at home, South Carolina at home, Alabama on the road, Auburn at home. I, I, Bud Walton gets jacked up for Kentucky. That's. And they'll come out and they'll play hard. Kentucky's also coming off a loss. It'll be tight. I'll give it to Kentucky. Kentucky has post depth and Arkansas doesn't. Like, they're just going to pound the ball inside and just try and chew them up that way. Um, I think they'll lose at Mississippi State. Um, I think they'll get TC. That is a projected loss. (laughs) I'll say... They'll get TCU, so that's two loss. So that's one win. They'll beat South Carolina. That's two. I, I I like Auburn more than I like Arkansas. I think they'll have three. I think they'll have at least three losses. I think they'll, three and three is the best case. So you think three and three? Yeah, I was gonna say I, I bet they go three and three. So, uh, lo- I'll say yeah, lost Kentucky. Um. Lost to Mississippi State, lost to. Well, actually, I'm kind yeah, of looking at this state. Two and four is pretty that, realistic. That becomes a sweat. I think they lose Kentucky. I think I think they lose Kentucky and Mississippi State, and I think they'll lose at Bama. So really, TCU becomes a swing. Probably game lose at Bama for them. If they can beat TCU, yeah. then I think that that's going to help them, but. Uh, the, the schedule gets a little bit tougher for them right now. Um, they love Muss right now, but they have not. That, it, there's o- there's only two uh, <laughs> two games left on their schedule that are against sub 100 teams. Yep, South Carolina, and then the season finale against A and M on the road. So, so they're like, but, they're like, yeah, the opposite of Missouri. They got they got a break, and then it goes. Um, but we're, we're delaying the inevitable here. We're up at, uh, 45 minutes already. So, uh, it's going to be an interesting weekend to say the least. Uh, you got time to record next week? Yeah, I got time to record next week. So we'll probably go Wednesday. Um, actually no, Wednesday I'm going out for dinner, so we'll have to go Thursday again. I like that we tell people the calendar. <laughs> you got to be ready for when they're they're uh, going to get the next podcast. Um, if you want to rob Sam's home, next Wednesday is the ideal time. Hey, I've got a nice so. security system with cameras and everything. Uh, so for anyone who is in St. Louis and they are foodies, which I know we're, there's got to be at least like one or two of you that listen to this podcast uh, that are that are in that category. Um, I am going to. Take my wife. My wife's birthday was yesterday, but for her birthday, we're going to do the omakase dinner at Indo uh, next Wednesday. I'm very excited about this. So if you're a foodie, you you know what that means. Like That is probably the best meal I'm going to eat this year. Uh, so I am not going to come home and record a podcast. Uh, we will wait until Thursday, and I will tell you all about it. <laughs> Give us your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you can check Instagram. Uh, there'll probably be a few pictures of food on there too. So it's gonna be bone appetite and basketball <laughs> next Thursday. Oh, I, I think at this point people would expect nothing less. So, uh, Matt, any last words what... before we get out of here? Just a friendly reminder um, to people. I know you get frustrated during games and in the immediate aftermath, but this is just a PSA. Conzo Martin can't be fired this year. Uh, it's it's happened. I keep getting it, you know, randomly. I get pinged about it. He's contractually safe. 
through May 1 of 2020. And even if they were to, in some world, fire him, they would still owe him $6 million. (laughs) So what I'm trying to tell you is the prenup for Conzo is very strong. And so I know you're frustrated. I know it's the way of fans to say we need to fire the coach. We need to progress isn't here. I'm telling you the contract doesn't allow that. So make peace with that. So I'm going to say. Just just embrace that. Just that's my PSA. So I needed to get that out there. So why don't we just we'll we'll be positive. And if if you cannot be positive, then you laugh about it. <laughs> Trust me. That's how we lived through the Kim Anderson see. years. And as somebody who podcasted through the Kim Anderson years, I can I can tell you that sometimes you just have to laugh. Uh, and so here's a nugget that we discovered before we came on the air. Uh, Missouri's performance against Mississippi State was one of the five worst offensive efficiency performances in the Kempom era. So uh, if you want to think about how bad things were, uh, three of the other <laughs> top five, one came under Quinn Snyder. The other three were Kim Anderson teams. So it could always be worse. It could always be worse. Uh, it it's is basketball, folks. <laughs> let's just hope it gets better. Um, so until next week, we'll be back. Make sure that you uh, you stay tuned and, and head Rock Nation, blah, 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 all that stuff. Follow him on Twitter, me on Twitter. Uh, Mitch, let's fade it out. Uh, we'll talk to you next week.